Hello and welcome to the Ask the Geographer podcast series from the Department of Education and Outdoor Learning at the Royal Geographical Society with IBG. I'm Harry. In each podcast, I'll meet geographers from around the world to ask them about topical events, timely publications and geographical research. Doug Specht is a Senior Lecturer and Director of Teaching, Learning and Quality Assurance in the School of Media and Communication at the University of Westminster. Doug is a Chartered Geographer and a Fellow of the Society, and his latest work is on responsible and ethical use of location data, something the Royal Geographical Society and many other organisations have already signed up to. Today we're talking to Doug about his work and how we can all seek to inform and improve locational data practice. Doug, thank you for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. Firstly, can you tell us a little bit about your background? Uh, this all seems like quite a niche area of geography. Uh, yes, I, I think um, perhaps I've a slightly unusual background and, and a way of finding my way towards looking at things like data ethics. And I actually trained as a geography teacher, secondary school geography teacher many years ago, um, and then found myself uh, through various different routes working in um, more sort of humanitarian work and I ended up going off and doing another degree in, in uh, international development uh, over in Amsterdam. When I came back to the UK, started doing a PhD and, and looking at the way that geographic data is used in international development, in the humanitarian context and from that has sort of springboarded into quite a lot of uh, different projects, a large majority of them based in Latin America, but also in sub-Saharan Africa. I've done a reasonable amount of work in Tanzania looking at the way that mapping projects have been used um, for development work and humanitarian work in, in Dar es Salaam particularly. Um, and then th this was work that I've, I've been sort of looking at, I guess, for seven or eight years now. But actually, it's it's work that a lot of other people have been looking at, but it's it's an area that I think has become uh, increasingly, uh, I was going to say increasingly important. No, it's always been important, but increasingly noticed for its importance. I think uh, as other things have come on board that start using geographic data and it's, it stops being this sort of preserver of geographers perhaps uh we started to see a lot more interest in okay how do we how do we work around ethics and things and so i've, I've worked with uh, quite a number of colleagues both geographers and outside of geography on a number of papers and, and research projects and and like you say the the latest thing that i've been looking at is this uh, the locus charter that uh, came out earlier in the year um, i wasn't involved in putting together the locus charter itself but i i do know many of the people involved in it and I've been involved in some of the discussions since that came out and I think it's something that started uh, further and quite interesting conversations around what we mean by data ethics, what we mean by geographic data um, and how those things might play out not just in the humanitarian sector which is is my core interest but uh, for all of us. Um, so yeah really a geography teacher who uh, who found themselves Working, working in this area uh, by various means. I saw on your Twitter uh, account uh, a quote that was attributed to you, um, which went along the lines of mapping is an inherently colonial activity, using a godlike satellite to take images from above and using that to decide how resources should be distributed. Could you explain what you meant by that data collection uh, comment? 
yeah, so th this was actually this was from an article for uh, for DevEx. So this was very specifically talking about using um, using satellite data in, in the international development context within the humanitarian context, and that quotes drawing upon two two fundamental things that relate to geographic data. One is the creation of maps, and the other is how we might understand what we mean by privacy. Um, and those two things really come together as the crux of why we might need to think about ethical frameworks for geographic data that are specific to geographic data rather than, than broader. And let me, let me sort of explain what I mean by those two things in a bit more detail. So the idea that maps are inherently colonial comes from this, this notion uh, that traditionally, and when I say traditionally, I mean for the last five and a half thousand years, uh, and, and perhaps even longer, really, we see that maps are always made by those who are in power. And this idea that, you know, even if you go back to the sort of the earliest maps of, created by the Babylonians, you know, there's a lot of evidence that those maps were designed really to see where their enemies were and to make sure they could collect taxes. So it was about controlling and power, and power right from day, day dot, as they say. And, you know, and as we trace the history of maps through, these maps are made by those who are in power, be it kings, be it prime ministers, be it lords, whoever, but to, to map their land for the purposes of tax collection, for the purposes of dividing up populations into different groups, if we're talking about going into new worlds, I realize I just did air quotes, which don't work on a podcast, but, but you know, uh, the, the, the very difficult terminology, new worlds, but that, that idea of, you know, discovery and the age of discovery and going and mapping people who have existed for, for thousands of years quite happily on their own, who are now suddenly drawn down on a piece of paper with someone else's interpretation of how they should be or how they look to them. And, um, those thousands of years of map making created a system of map making that we all know and in many ways we all love actually you know we we love the symbology of mapping we we love being able to pick up one map and then another map and you can you can read both maps you don't need to go and learn the new legend you don't need to go and read a book about how to is essentially the language is the same across any map that we come across but that map language has been written over thousands of years of making maps that were specifically designed to control or document populations who didn't get a say in that process. Now, of course, you know, the, the ability to make our own maps is, is much more prevalent. Now we can all log onto the internet and make, make our own maps. We can draw our own maps. We can design them however we like, you know. It, it's still on the national curriculum for for years one and two. You know, at the earliest ages, to draw a map of how you get to school and this kind of thing. And and those maps are exactly the same as the other maps. You know, they follow the same symbologies. They follow the same stylings. So even where we're trying to make something alternative, we often and more often than not fall back into using that same techniques. So that that's where that's where I mean that that maps are inherently colonial because they're tied to that set of of practices that create maps. Um, then we have this issue of privacy, which is sort of the other half of that quote. And it depends where we start with the notion of privacy. See, I would start with the notion that privacy is a human right; that we all have the right to 
a private life. And not everyone will agree with that to to the fullest extent, but it's worth noting that there's been a number of lawsuits and, and court cases in different parts of the world where the notion of privacy and the right to privacy has been upheld in, in different laws. So it seems like a sensible place to start that that's, that's the notion. So, you know, you wouldn't like it if I came around your house, jumped over your garden fence and had a look around your garden. That would be an invasion of privacy. If I do it from several miles up using my very powerful telescope uh, or uh, my very powerful satellite and I have a look in, in your garden, is that an invasion of privacy? Well, on the face of it, that sounds very much absolutely, yes, it is an invasion of privacy. Then if I, what if I said, well, actually, don't worry, I'm not looking at your house. I'm looking at every house in the neighborhood. And I'm just, what I'm really looking for is I'm just trying to identify where a certain type of activity is or isn't happening so I can go and punish or, or help whoever needs it. Is that an invasion of privacy? Well, to me, what we've got is a double-layered problem here because I'm taking that, that data, whatever it is, whether it's for a good cause or bad cause with my satellite. And the only way I can represent it is by using a mapping technique that we've already established is inherently colonial. And the only way I can extract it from you, if I own a satellite and you don't, is with a massive power imbalance where I can look in your back garden, but you can't look in mine, which puts me back into a godlike position of being able to decide what your back garden means to the rest of the world. So you might have a really nice barbecue that you really like in your back garden, but when I map that, I might miss out your barbecue and only put that all your flowers are dead because that's what I've got symbology for. That It's a frivolous example, that, but it's trying to bring it down to the personal individual level. When we're talking about humanitarian and development contexts, we're talking about taking often some of the most vulnerable populations and not doesn't mean they're permanently vulnerable, but in that moment often the most vulnerable because they're, they're experiencing drought, famine, some humanitarian crisis. And we're using a satellite to tell them what that situation looks like. And this extracts us even further from being on the ground and, and being able to talk to those people and being able to make decisions. Now, don't get me wrong, I, I'm not against using satellite data for for good causes. I think there is there's a huge amount of progress has been made in using satellite data uh, for things like the, the Sustainable Development Goals, for humanitarian interventions. But what there is, is this, there's this risk that the power imbalance is actually growing rather than shrinking. And while we all talk about things like participatory mapping, for a while we all talked about neo-geography, while we talk about participatory humanitarianism, the idea of mapping people without their consent and from a satellite, I think is, is quite problematic. Um, and that's what I was trying to get. That was a very long answer to what I was trying to get at with that particular quote. Um, but it does play into these privacy issues for everybody around geographic data and, and who's drawing up that map that I feature on and how I feature on it. You've mentioned there, Doug, about the risk of uh, a growing power imbalance and, and mapping without consent. Um, today, we're here to talk about the Locust Charter. Um, is that a significant stepping stone towards uh, what we're talking about, an improvement in locational data practice? Um, in the future? Yeah, I, I 
greatly welcome the Locust Charter. I think it's uh, it's something that is perhaps long overdue, actually. Um, I think it's quite interesting that not only uh, did the Locust Charter come out this year, but the Office for National Statistics also a few months later put out a whole load of information about ethical considerations for geographic data. So clearly 2021 is is the year of saying, let's get our house in order around geographic data. Um, I think what, what's important about the Locust Charter is the, the people that that have worked to put that together through benchmark, through ethical geo, you know, there's a, there's a huge amount of energy behind making that work. So it's, it's not some people have written something and put something out passively. And I think that's, that's hugely important because none of these things work unless there's engagement with it. And I know there is also engagement with the office for national statistics, uh, stuff, but the, the, the energy that's behind the locus charter, I think is, is really important. And it, and it's, it's a really important stepping stone towards thinking about how we use geographic data. And I think the key thing it's doing, two key things it's doing, one is reminding us that, that we often as geographers and those working with geographic data are working with something that is a little bit unique and is a little bit different in terms of data. But it's not just us using it and it leaks everywhere, but also that there is no real answer about the ethics. Um, and that I think the key thing that, that works for me in terms of the Locust Charter is actually they're quite open to the discussion about that. It's it's 10 written principles. Yeah, it's it's quite pragmatic and and. Uh, and simple set of guidelines, but actually that's the guidelines almost aren't the important bit. The, the important bit is that I wouldn't be talking to you now unless someone else had written the Locust Charter and then I wrote about the Locust Charter and this conversation continues and it and it develops. And, and that's actually what, what we need to see is in these organizations are those conversations happening. You know, anyone who's working with this kind of geographic data needs to be having conversations around ethics. And those conversations have happened previously. We, we know they've happened. You know, some, some of the things in the Locust Charter and the, the Office of National Statistics uh, frameworks, you know, draw on, on things that, that were very uh, prevalent already in the 1970s and 80s when thinking about critical cartography and, and critical geographies. But it's the debate part of it and the debating this with technology companies not just within academia. And I think that that's a really key thing um, that the Locust Charter has brought this year. I imagine with the, uh, the, the importance about debate and guidelines and um, trying to uh, trigger a conversation, it's important because we're, we're moving towards a more uh, automated world. And in the future, if not now, AI might drive a lot of data, data capture and analysis, and there'll be programs that will need to have the Locust Charter um, bullet points instilled in it. Is that right? Yeah, I, I think you know what what they've put together in terms of the Locust Charter is something that should be instilled within all of these projects. Now, the question is going to be, how on earth do you actually get that built in? Uh, you know. To me, I, I, you know, I like I say, I think the, the Locust Charter is a, an incredibly important and very useful step forward, but it has two issues with it. One is that it is incredibly simple, almost too simple, in my personal opinion. I think the simplicity has a place, and perhaps we'll talk about that uh, 
separately but it's it's incredibly simple but also it, it's it's not a statutory thing it's it's you know entirely voluntary and and it's, it's a set of guidelines and and don't get me wrong i don't think that ethical geo and and uh, ben and denise and, and people have worked on it i don't think their role is to go and enforce this i don't think that's i'm not asking them to to do that but then how do we actually get it adopted by the places that need it that need to adopt it because actually there's a lot of money to be made out of geographic data and the best way to make that money is to not be 100 percent ethical perhaps you know to cut some corners what it does do is for those who are interested, it gives them something to lean on. But what it doesn't do is for those who are uninterested is give them any incentive to move. So so we can shift part of the industry and, and bring bring things a bit better in, in line. But it's not going to make Google roll over and change their, their entire way of operating because that's their profit margins is on what those principles and I personally would refer to as a slightly unethical use of geographic data. So, so there's a contention there around how far they can regulate these things, how much a company like Tesla is going to be interested in an ethical framework, or are they going to wait until their AI decides to run over one person rather than another and then see which way the courts decide after the fact, you know, or do you, Breaking the ethics in from the beginning is is not seen as a good business model generally. You you know move fast and break things, as Silicon Valley often uh, you know sort of talks about and and that kind of thing. Well, the ethics doesn't come into that. So where they're going to where they're going to be positioned within that wider technological context, I think is is still a question. And I hope that, you know, I hope they do become more uh, embedded in that kind of work. But how we then get them there, um, you know, and it's, it's important that people like the RGS have signed up for them because that's part of that process of moving them into being legitimate, seen as a seen as a framework that should be acknowledged within other work. Um, but there's, there's still a long way to go. There are 10 principles. Um, you mentioned that Silicon Valley's motto, move fast and break things, um, is something maybe to counter. Is there one more important than the other? Um, which one was the first on the list? Do you know? Um, so so the, the, 10, um, the 10 principles are to understand the impacts, do no harm, protect rights, protect the vulnerable, address biases, minimize intrusion, minimize data, protect privacy, prevent the uh, identification of individuals and to be accountable. Um, and they all have longer explanations of that that's, that's their, in their simplest form. Is one more important than the other? Um, I mean, the, the 10 of them are essentially like an incredibly complex Venn diagram. I mean, there's, there's a lot of overlap and, and for good reason, there's a lot of overlap. I mean, I think number one being understand impacts is is crucial because actually all of the other ones you can't you can't do any of the others you can't minimize your harm you can't protect people's rights unless you're understanding what the impact on individuals or, or communities actually is so i think it's probably no accident they put understand the impacts as number one so i think that probably is the most important but it's probably the hardest one to actually think about and it's the hardest one to do 
you know, I can say, well, actually, I'm going to minimize intrusion by only collecting this or only collecting that. But how, how does that affect the, what's the impact of me not collecting some data? Who gets missed from my data set? Is it ethical that actually, while I'm minimizing my data, I've now excluded a different community? That might actually be more unethical than collecting slightly more data. So the understanding impacts is hugely important, but how do you measure impact? And, and when we talk about impact, impact for who? And what do we mean by negative or positive impact? Collecting everybody's data has a hugely positive impact for, let's blame Google again, why not? We're, no, let's do, let's do Apple just for a change. You know, it, collecting everybody's data from, from your iPhone is, is, has a huge impact for Apple because they can do all kinds of exciting things with it. And it's very positive for Apple. No real negatives happen to Apple for collecting our data. Are there negative impacts for the people whose data is being collected? Well, possibly. Possibly not. It improves your online experience. It improves your map experience. It, there are little tags. You can find your keys on the underground if you've left them on a tube train. All of these things. That's, that's great. That's a good impact. Um, there was a case of someone... I can't remember when it was now. It wasn't so long ago. Who you know had their bike that was being tracked by a uh, I can't remember which company it was now. I don't think it was Apple. And it got stolen. And the uh, the tracking device went past someone's house who had nothing to do with the bike, nothing to do with the theft, but became a suspect because when you handed over the location data to the police, they were seen near the bike for a, an extended period of time. Well, actually, the thief had just cycled past them. So the impact was actually on someone who we didn't collect data about, who hadn't consented, who wasn't necessarily an owner of the technologies or anything that was involved. So understanding impacts is, I was going to say impossible. It's not impossible, but it's its so multifaceted that, yeah, it's important. The, the most important one, but we have to define what we mean by an impact, and that's on a case-by-case -case basis, and that's really hard. And therein lies the problem. And there, therein lies the whole problem with, with all of this, yeah. Impact for who? I feel like we've painted a bit of a doomsday picture so far of data mining, of intrusive tracking, uh, but of course, geospatial Technology has also liberated people, uh, spurred economic growth. You've mentioned some of the improved usability from Apple as an example. Um, just to finish, can I ask what has been the benefit of tech companies and the millions of online maps that we now see? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the, the problem is with, with these kinds of conversations is that uh, you do sound like a bit of a sort of a doom and gloom and that, that nothing's good and, it, and it's all going wrong. And I, and I, that's not what I believe at all. I'm actually wildly optimistic about these things, despite uh, cautiously optimistic, maybe that's a better way of putting it, about what geographic data does. And we, we have seen over not just the last few years, but for, for hundreds of years, actually, geographic data doing huge amounts of really good things for people in the world. You know, using geographic data can massively improve yields in farming. Using geographic data can massively improve transit around cities, improving public, uh, public transportation and these things. We've seen in the last 18 months, you know, it's geographic data has been absolutely fundamentally important. In, in fighting the pandemic. You know, we wouldn't be anywhere near as uh, 
close to sort of normality as we are at the moment without geographic data. I'm very hesitant there because I'm, I'm not sure we. It's difficult to suggest that we're everything's solved or or is is right. But I think we'd be perhaps in a much worse situation uh, without geographic data, um, aside from politics and all of all of those things that have created the particular version of the life we currently live but but geographic data played a, a large role in actually improving things in the quite quick terms you know it's great for flood defenses it's great for all of these 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 sorts of things so it has this huge huge role to play in our lives and i don't think that it would be in any way sensible to suggest that we rein back on on using geographic data for all of those things but it comes back to again, you know, what what is the impact of what we're doing, and that's that's the bit where I think it's not that we shouldn't be using geographic data; we absolutely should. But we should all just stop for ten seconds and think about what we're doing before we do it. Uh, I was gonna gonna invoke the uh, the Mister Men story of of Mister Jelly, who you know the the whole story of Mister Jelly. I remember this. So so clearly from being a kid, you know, he gets incredibly scared of everything around him. Um, and then someone says, look, count, count to 10, you know, and he steps on a twig and he panics that it's going to be an alligator. And then he counts to 10 and realizes it's just a twig and not, not a snapping alligator. And that counting to 10 and looking what's actually happening around us is, is hugely important. And there is this sort of, you know, tech arms race at the moment and has been for a very long time. Um, which just sees us moving really, really fast. And there are lots of people who are considering things. There are lots of people who are taking time to to think and to think things through and to check on things and stuff. But there's also a lot of projects that are just sort of steamrolling through and this is good because, and not asking that question of what might not be so good. You know, who who might we be missing out? Who might we be misrepresenting? Who might we be... Uh, not collecting data about or mis misunderstanding the data about and how might we mitigate those or how might we change our project to, to do that you know and building a car that can race around a, a track without thinking about who's culpable when someone gets run over well that that's racing for the technology without thinking about those impacts so so geographic data you know hugely important role uh i you know, there's a reason I trained to be a geography teacher is because I love geographic data. I, I love looking at maps. I love poring over maps, even the ones where you look at them and you, you know that it was a map that was drawn to oppress people. It's still, there's something about them. You can't, you can't resist, you know, looking at them. But it's that pausing and thinking, that's great, that's beautiful, that's whatever, but... Okay, that map is beautiful, but it was used for this purpose. That technology is great, but what's the impact? Those satellites are amazing for doing that. Are we still talking to the right people, or are we have we cut them out of the the system? So it, it's just it's taking pause. And again, you know, the Locus Charter, the the Office for National Statistics, both of those frameworks are about asking people to take a pause and and ask themselves those questions again. We've got to keep that momentum going of as projects come through. And I personally would love to see these things get written into things where, you know, if you're, you're applying for, I mean, you, if you're applying for funding for research projects, you always have an ethical framework that you have to work within. But, but these very specific stuff around geographic data isn't often uh, explicitly talked about in, in ethical 
um, applications. You talk about, are you going to do harm to people by interviewing them? Are they going to give consent? This kind of stuff. But this kind of stuff, this should be embedded in, I want to make this new technology. Here's my patent. Okay, what's your ethical what's your ethical consideration about your geographic data you're collecting? You know, okay, maybe it's not the not the patent's office to job to do that, but you know what I mean? It's it's building it in on that that very ground level. Um and that is what both both these these projects want to do is is put that in there. How we get that in until it's so locked in that we think about it every day, you know. Um that takes time. Or Locust Charter has only been out three or four months. The Office for National Statistics only came out in May. So, you know, we're, it's very early doors and people are signing up. But embedding that so that it's everyday thinking of people who are creating the technologies is really important. Um, because actually, the, the responsibility lies with them, not always with the user. We can educate users, but that puts a little bit of an unfair emphasis. That's like saying to me, have a new car. Steering wheel doesn't really work, but that's on you. Well, no, that's not true. No, that's on the manufacturer. You can't tell me, here's, here's a new app. It's on you to learn how to turn off the bits that are going to be un- offensive to you. No, that should be built in from the beginning. Well, hopefully this podcast will go some way to, to further the conversation. Hopefully, yes, hopefully. <laughs> Thank you for joining us today, Doug. Uh, absolutely my pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please subscribe to the Ask the Geographer podcast series on iTunes and SoundCloud.com. Be inspired and stay informed with the Society's wide range of resources, many of which are free. School membership unlocks access to other excellent resources, including online lectures and many other tailor-made benefits for teachers and students. Access our resources at www.rgs.org schools.